And we're on the air in five, four, three, two, one. Pencil. When peace comes, remember, it will be for us, the children of today, to make the world of tomorrow a better and happier place. We are beginning to be able, cautiously and with our eyes open, to encourage some interchange of ideas. We have to start thinking about tomorrow. I've heard that somewhere. So uh, this is the Here You Are Wausau podcast. I'm uh, one of your hosts, Dino. I'm your other host, Eric. And today we're uh, lucky enough to have a guest, uh, Mr. Nick O'Brien from just apparently from everywhere. So uh, so I'm just going to let, like, Nick, who the hell are you and, and why do we see your name in the newspaper all the time? Yeah, Dino and Eric, thanks for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'm just a guy, really. I'm just a guy with some energy and some passion and um, a realization that that Wausau and the surrounding metro you know, area can be more than what it is right now. And I kind of saw that from the get-go. I moved to Wausau kind of, I can't even say side on scene because... I had never even stepped foot in the state of Wisconsin when I decided to accept a job um, at Newsline 9 to be a multimedia sports journalist, which at that point in time in 2012, I had been in that industry for eh, probably about six years. Um, kind of it was my dream at age 13 to sit alongside Stuart Scott and, you know, those guys at, at in Bristol and be an ESPN sportscaster, but, uh, that's what brought me to Wausau. Um, and I quickly learned that there were plenty, uh, more reasons for me to stay in Wausau. Cause if you're familiar at all with the way that the television industry works, um, Wausau is more or less a stepping stone in a reporter or anchors journey to the network. So I didn't move to Wausau with an intention of staying, um, but something kind of struck me when I pulled up, you know, 51 and I believe I took exit 192A to go out to toward the uh, industrial park, which is where the apartment that I had um, put a deposit on that I had never seen, um, that was where that was located. And something about that first trip over that overpass of exit 192A kind of heading toward that um you know, Abbotsford, Chips, Chip Falls direction, you're kind of sitting above the rest of the city and you get the chance to kind of look down and there it was. And my first audible thought um, inside, you know, the the limits of the Wausau metro area, because um, I was alone, there wasn't any room for anybody else in my crappy Nissan Pathfinder. Um, frankly, there wasn't room for myself in there because every time I looked to the right, I think I got poked in the neck with a, with an ice scraper. Um, but I looked about the city sitting in the valley and I audibly thought, wow, I get to live here. And little did I know that that, that thought um, about 11 minutes into my experience of, of being in Wausau um, ended up being a decision or a thought that I that kind of resonated with me when it came to the time where uh, I was being you know offered some other other positions, um, in the sports broadcasting realm in other communities. And 
I felt as though I was obligated to experience Wausau um, rather than just learning about all the cool things that happen through my, you know, time spent in a, in a television newsroom. Uh, we did all these stories on cool things that happened in the community, but I never really got the chance to experience all of those things because most of those things happen um, nights, weekends, and holidays. And um, coincidentally, that is also when sports happens. So I didn't really get the chance to experience a lot of those things. So I kind of said to myself that I was just going to get a J-O-B in Wausau and live for about a year and get out of the TV industry and, you know, kind of take a step back and then just experience Wausau. And then I'd get back in the TV world and, and be on with my way. And Wausau would, you know, kind of just be, uh, you know, a, a memory, if you will. Um, but it didn't take me long to kind of, again, rekindle that thought that I had when I moved here of this place is really amazing. Um, the people here are great. It has an immense amount of potential, but I didn't really see at that time any standout young people who were kind of, you know, taking, you know, the bull by the horns and just kind of, for lack of a better term, just kind of disrupting things a little bit to try to get people out of their comfort zone, get people out of that um, satisfaction with what Wasa is right now. And don't get me wrong, I love this place, um, but it can be so much more. And I don't know that a lot of people um, realize that. And the people that do realize that aren't always quick to step up and, and be the voice um, that, that kind of hammers that home. So kind of my journey into what I do now, which is I'm the community engagement specialist for McDevco, which is the county's economic and community development firm. Um, I, I started working for the Chamber of Commerce, and I led uh, what was known as E3YP at that time, which was the Chamber's Young Professionals Group that has, had been in existence for maybe six months before I started. And boy, I'm glad that uh, I, I, that opportunity came across my plate. Quite frankly, I didn't even know what a chamber of commerce was when the job was offered to me. Um, <laughs> um, but it, I fell right into the role, and um, here we are, two years later, a, a little over two years later from that kind of that starting. And I've been introduced to a passion that I didn't know existed within me, and it really is just kind of fueled by this community. Um, and and I'm very very prideful about living here. Um, so much so that it's kind of my job now to to expose some of the things that exist in our community that maybe people don't realize are here or don't have a full appreciation for. And through that, um, a lot of my my role is, you know, to get people that 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 live here to love this place and to get people who don't live here and don't know about this place to come here. And I kind of design experiences for those people. Um, when they're visiting, I did a, a, a program back in the summer of 2015 where I literally handpicked seven people from Milwaukee who didn't know each other and didn't know anything about Wausau. And I paired them up with seven people from Wausau who didn't know each other and thought that they knew all there was to know about Wausau. And, you know, the conversations, the connections, the uh, just kind of the realizations that uh, that took place during that weekend kind of set in stone with me that like, gosh, this, I'm not the only person that really thinks this place is great. And that the people that, that live here are great. So really that's kind of been my 
journey in a, in a really brief synopsis, um, even though that was probably a little longer winded than what you were anticipating. No, so, that's perfect, no, actually. No, that was great. That was that was about eight minutes, buddy. That was awesome. That was perfect. <laughs> well, I don't – yeah, I, I can talk a little bit. I guess that goes back to my, my days in front of a television camera with no script, um, <laughs> having to recount, you know, nine innings of a baseball game that um, really was decided in, like, you know, an inning and a half or something like that. So <laughs> there's so, a little bit of a – of a, of a of a hybridization between my past life and my current life and how they work together. I, I kind of credit that to getting a really versatile degree in college. Having sure. a communications degree at the time really meant nothing. But now that I can see how versatile and how flexible it makes my skill set, it, it really does, it has paid off. So so one of the things that just stood out to me, and, and, and maybe Eric as well, is um, how, how is it that you remembered the exit you got off on? Oh gosh, I don't know. I just have a, a a knack for remembering obscure things that I think have a an impact on my life. Um, I don't know. Numbers is usually not one of those things, but <laughs> big green signs apparently are. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I find that because fa- like you know I travel for a living and I'm like I don't know one exit from another, but all right, I didn't even know that it was exit because I, I think I know what exit you're talking about. But I'm like, that's exit 192. Okay, all right, had no idea. 192A, too. There's there's two of them. A, okay. All right, where does 192B go? No one knows, actually. You don't want to go down that one. No, I have no idea, actually. He's got a good point, though, because when I was younger, I took out an exit sign in an an unfortunate accident on the interstate. Um, And I'll remember that number. So, you know, it's all relative, I guess. You didn't take out 192A, did you? No, I took one out. Took out 181A. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah, because 192A seems to be a. We should not screw with that sign. That seems <laughs> that seems like an important sign that we should cherish. So has so I, since, I, yeah. since you've been here and the, just because this is fun. So uh, since you've been here and we had all the new road construction, is exit 192A different now than it was when you came? Uh, no, actually, that oh, wow. uh, was is the same that it was when I uh, when I came here. Although the the work between you know Weston Schofield and like Rib Mountain, you know that that work that kind of took a little while, but um, that was not there obviously because that was just you know in, within the last what eighteen months or so. But yeah. so how yeah, long so, how long were you on television? Like in Wausau or like total in general? Yeah. Um, I started being, I started getting on air. Um, I think I did some internships when I was like 18 that, that put me on air. So, um, and then I, I had my first like paying reporting job about four months before I got my degree. Cause I did six internships in college. So I know how to wow. get my foot in the door. <laughs> um, the but hell? yeah, so I, you know, 18 was probably my, my, like my on 18 or 19 was probably like my on air debut. And, uh, you know, at 22, I was on air at least once a week until I was, uh, almost 26. And when I was in Wausau, I was on air, I don't know, four or five times a week. I mean, during Packers season, I, my first season, I was our Packers 
like beat reporter kind of. So I was at Lambeau twice a week reporting from there and having conversations with all the people that you guys would lose your minds about if you had even had the chance to introduce yourself. Um, Why would um, yeah, well, you're probably not a Packers fan. <laughs> exactly. And, well, it, and it worked. What station was it again? I, I it was, it was WAW Channel 9. Okay. So um, people always asked me that when I was on TV, you know, like, well, don't you just get so nervous to talk to Aaron Rodgers? Well, no, I'm, you know, I always told people that I got more nervous to meet the people that I looked up to in, in the industry. So like when I've met like um, Kenny Maine, for instance, that was like, I was starstruck, you know, but you know, it's nothing to talk to, you know, a, a multi pro bowl, pro bowl quarterback by any means. Um, and I got to do that quite a bit. And so people, just because I, I worked for the Packers or I worked, you know, covering the Packers, people assumed that I was a Packers fan and when I told them that I wasn't, they were appalled. Um, not that I'm not a fan, but I'm just, that's not my team, you know? Um, but it actually made it a lot easier to cover the team when you didn't really have a, you know, a vested, you know, fight or dog in the fight, I should say. Um, because it wasn't like that most times. I rubbed elbows in the locker room with many, many Packers fans who also had a camera and a microphone and it made for a really um, biased and one-sided interview. <laughs> So, so hey, then, Dino, just to, yeah. before you start that, I, I'm going to go down a side road for inst- okay. for a, a moment because I have never really thought about it before. But you have spent a lot of time in in music. Did you ever get that way with any of the musicians that you worked with or worked for? Or you, wait, you mean like bumped into? Jade, I'm I'm going to say where. Hold on. The the not impressed thing or the impressed thing? No, the impressed thing. Oh where shit! You were yeah, dude. Oh like Christ! Starstruck. Every- yeah. But you're I, just, you know, you don't come off to be that guy. You no. just come off to be like, you know, just casual right. dude. So, but like, you know, when I met Al Green in, in the, for the first time, I just stood there and I didn't have anything to say. You know, like when I, when we met Johnny Cash at the Viper Room at the after party, I just stood there like, you know, like I was a mute. And uh, yeah, <laughs> no. So for me, the deal is in those situations, it's always, you know, yeah, you try to keep it really cool, and chances are there you're in some sort of work environment. But yeah, I mean, there there are certain musicians where you're like, yeah, there's just no way I can't, I can't be cool around this. This, you know, I'm just gonna. So the best thing to do is just to stand there quietly, you know, because <laughs> otherwise, you know, you just that's yeah. I mean, shit, yeah. I mean, I met Lemmy from Motorhead on New Year's Eve for the Millennia, and it was like. Yeah. Okay. How do I not just jump up and down and scream about this? You know, but <laughs> it was yeah. No, you just sort of stand quietly and go hi. How are you? Keep it cool. And then go back to wherever you were and just bite a pillow and scream. That's sort of what I was famous for. That was my thing. But so oh yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So uh, yeah. No, I I I I think that's cool. You know, like it's like musicians that I worked with. It was it was always different because especially if it was somebody that you know like we were on a tour with or just sort of in support of then there wasn't a whole lot of contact but you know it yeah i'm i'm completely different i just i'd be like holy shit that's you know whoever megatron for the detroit lions i'd be like that's awesome you know but that's just me you know i i'm a i'm a screaming (laughs) i was about to say i'm a screaming pillow biter but uh, that's not what I meant to say. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm a big fan of going back to 
a quiet space and just letting that letting that energy out. So yeah. Yeah. Just an FYI, I'm gonna Photoshop that for the next. You go ahead. That's fine. You go right block. ahead. That's the. That'd be a cool meme, I think. Yeah, that's <laughs> terrible. So, so um, I, I I wanted to follow up a little bit on uh, on the TV experience. So, I, just cause you know it's the first time on the podcast, so we have access to you, and we're gonna ask you all sorts of embarrassing questions. So, tell me a little bit about how you knew you were done on television, or maybe you're not done yet. You know how how did you how did you sort of go? All right, cool. I think I've I think I've done this. I think I want to try something else. Well, it it, it wasn't you know that black and white, and you know I still kind and of hold on. I look wait, back and, I don't I don't mean to interrupt or anything, but uh, Eric, did you see his new avatar? <laughs> no. Wait wait till this thing pops up. It's it's pretty manly. So just so we we record our podcast on Skype, and when we started tonight, Nick didn't have an avatar, and now Nick has added one of the more manly avatars I've ever seen. So, so anyway, let's go back to, uh, so the end of television. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I was saying it was, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a conscious decision to get out of television. I mean, honestly, when I, when, you know, I had been approached to sign another contract with, with channel nine, um, it would have been my third at that time. And, you know, I, I wanted to sign it, you know, to be honest with you, I loved, you know, working in Mwasa. I, I was starting to develop relationships with, you know, the high school uh, coaches and the players. And, you know, it, it kind of got to be more than a job, if you will. Um, and I can't necessarily say I thought he was even done in TV, with TV in general. It's just I, in Mwasa, it was it was it was time. I, I, there wasn't anything else that I hadn't done in this market um, that I wanted to. And it just came to that point, like, this is the time that you move on. And plus, you know, uh, if you're familiar at all with the television industry or just media in general, it's not at all in any way, shape or form, um, you know, financially lucrative. Um, And not that I was looking to make, you know, six figures by any means. But, you know, I moved eight hours away from everybody I knew for twenty three thousand seven hundred dollars a year before taxes. So, you know, and, and I maybe had, I think maybe I had gotten to 25, um, after my second contract that I signed. So at that point in time, you know, I was 25, you know, almost 26 years old and it was time for me to move past the point in my life of the biggest decision of my week being standing in the pasta aisle at Aldi and deciding between beef, chicken or shrimp ramen because that's really all that I could afford. <laughs> so it was just kind of like I needed, um, and, and at the same time, I had only ever done television or, you know, radio broadcasting sports. I had never really dove into any other industry. Um, as you could you tell, I did six internships, all in sports broadcasting during college. I never even gave another career choice a look because I knew at 13 years old, this is what I wanted to do. Well, here I am, you know, you know, here I was 12 years later after that. And I said, you know, maybe it might be a good idea for me to try some other things because, you know, when I am 45 and completely burnt out from being on television, um, you know, who knows, I'll have, you know, a family that I can't just like take six weeks off to try to figure out, you know, what else I want to do with my professional life. So if, if, if there was ever a time to try a new one, it, it would be at 25 when I had some, some freedom. 
Um, but then it just, you know, I, I, I look back at my time on television and I say, you know, I would love to somehow get back into that realm, but not in like the new local news realm where you're like deadline driven and, you know, you literally do like six hours of work in like two hours because all of your games start at 7.30 p.m. and you have to go cover four of them and get, you know, 45 seconds of highlights on, you know, in a matter of, you know, 30 minutes that when you get back to the station before the show. That tar- that part of my life was like, uh, you know, it was it was a little too nerve-wracking constantly for me to continue that. Um, but even in my current realm, like of economic and community development, I've thrown some ideas around in, in my head and I've talked with some people in the community about the potential of like starting, you know, a weekly talk show or something that just, you know, kind of like what you guys do and, you know, drawing attention to people and issues and places and just things that are going on in the community. Um, you know, why couldn't that be, you know, a half hour, you know, talk show on public access or, and maybe it gets picked up and, you know, simulcasted or something like that, you know, obviously that's a little farther down the road, but I'm, I'm not at all done with, television i love media in all realms i love social media i love radio i love tv i like the inner workings of it i like putting together a script and producing a show and all that type of stuff i just got to figure out how to mesh that with what i'm super passionate about right now and that's helping this community move forward the the jump out question for me is uh which ramen was your go-to flavor of ramen uh i think it was chicken yeah it's all artificial flavoring so it's not like it i don't even think the chicken tasted like chicken to be honest with you (laughs) eric do you have a go-to ramen flavor i do not see i've not had it very much in my life yeah i was lucky i i had a uh freshman year of college i had a dude on my floor from some country overseas and he's like this is how you cook ramen and i'm like okay i don't know what the hell you're talking about and uh he introduced me to ramen and i came away going this is the greatest thing ever because i was 18 you know and uh so ramen is my like go-to comfort food when it's like friday night and i'm just shot and i have nothing there's no way i'm doing anything i just go to the grocery store and get four packages of ramen and i always mix them i mix beef and chicken together so yeah Oh, that's gourmet. Yeah, exactly. It's high class. It's how I got some hot dogs up in there. No, no, no. Just the straight ramen. I don't. I don't try to get all you know freaky about it, but you know, (laughs) getting freaky with your ramen. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So then, one of the things that we're in the middle. I think we're in the middle of it right now. Is uh, Young Professionals Week? Uh, actually, it doesn't start until Saturday. Saturday we kick off. Good, because. So tell us a little bit about Young Professionals Week. Yeah, um, and this is a, a great transition, actually, um, because I credit YP Week um, a lot for my decision to stay in Wassa and for my passion for the for Wassa. Um, and I guess to to give some context to that is, I started with the chamber, um, you know, as their young professionals manager on the last day of February in 2015. And on April 11th, um, YP Week Wisconsin was to kick off. Um, It was the first time it had ever been done um, on a statewide platform. 
And I say that the first time, like not just in Wisconsin, that's the first time like ever in the history of, you know, the country that, that a state had, had taken multiple cities, multiple young professionals groups and planned like a thematic week of events. And on April 11th of 2015, five weeks after my first day at the chamber, um, Wausau was actually hosting the very first event um, for the state. It was the statewide kickoff party. And it was, um, again, five weeks after my first day. So on my first day of work at the chamber, I didn't see my desk until about 3.30 that afternoon because I went from planning meeting to planning meeting to planning meeting um, to talk about YP Week. And the gist of it was, hey, welcome aboard. Um, This thing starts in five weeks. We're hosting like the kickoff party for the whole state and nothing's really been done yet. So go. Um, And so it was the you know, it was the definition of, of, of baptism by fire. You know, I felt like I was drinking out of a fire hose for about five weeks, but over the course of that five weeks, we were able to put together, not only the, uh, you know, assist with the planning of the statewide kickoff, but we put together 13 events that took place over that first, um, YP week in Wausau. And so that was where like kind of my first touch of, or first taste of, event planning and community organizing, um, and, and kind of like this community engagement type realm that I, that I'm in right now. Um, that was the, the first taste of it. Um, and so with YP week, uh, in 2015, eight cities across the state participated in the first year. And, um, within that first, you know, five weeks. And then certainly in some weeks following that first YP week, I was able to get connected to, um, some people across the state that kind of had the same passion and momentum, you know, that I have, but you know, they have it for their, their community. And we really started to, to, to connect and, and grow this statewide network of connected, young, passionate rabble rousers, if you will. And, it 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 it, uh, it showed me that Wisconsin really is you know where I want to be, and not only because it's beautiful, you know, in terms of its natural um, offerings, but the people here. I mean, I don't want to go on a millennial tangent here, but it seems to be a hot topic, and it has been since you know, I don't know, twenty twelve or whatever. Millennials want to be around people that are like-minded and that have some of the same passions and goals. And I found it through YP week that first year, I found people not only in my own community, but around the state that were supporting each other um, and sharing ideas. And it was just really a a nice way to, to kind of break into this, to this realm of community development. And, uh, so in 2016, um, YP Week expanded from eight cities to 15 cities. And in, at that time, uh, YP Week in, um, in 2016, I actually had uh, I'd left the chamber. So I wasn't with the Young Professionals Group anymore. And I wasn't then required to be in Wausau for the entire YP Week. Um, so what I did was I you know, formed a project. Um, to tour the state 
and to tour these 15 communities during YP week and just basically go to as many of these events as I could and take a camera with me. And um, actually, I took two cameras with me, one for the car and one for, you know, the events. And I basically, I went to 26 YP week events in 14 different cities in eight days. It was about 2,400 miles total. I think I wasn't in one city for longer than six hours. And that was that, that, that six hour stint was the one night of the week that I actually slept in my own bed in Warsaw. Um, so I averaged about three events a day and was in a city for about an hour and a half before I drove to the next one. And all throughout that I filmed and then, you know, in the weeks, uh, following YP week produced and edited a four minute marketing video for the state of Wisconsin, because at that point in time, um, Wisconsin was still the only con- or state in the country that were was doing something to quell talent migration um, in this new innovative way of actually having cities within the state um, utilize each other and support each other rather than like view each other as competition, um, you know, for the next bout of talent that's going to come through. Um, and then now this year, uh, I'm back in kind of the I don't want to say the driver's seat, but kind of in a in a leading directing type of role for YP Week here in Wausau. And it's it's a blast, man. Uh, YP Week, you know, to kind of get into what it even is, is it was started in 2012 in Milwaukee. Um, and it was only a Milwaukee thing. It was started by a, um, a company called New Walkie. Um, New Walkie is, uh, to my knowledge, one of the only companies of their kind in the, in the country. They are a social architecture firm. Um, so they do community engagement um, through this theory and this, uh, this, this notion and concept of, of social architecture. And I know what you're probably thinking, what the hell does that mean? Um, but I can share with you a definition. Uh, the definition of social architecture is the conscious design of an environment that shifts the social behavior of a population toward a goal. And that goal could be anything. It could be, you know, trying to showcase a business or, you know, taking on a, a, you know, a hot button topic or whatever it may be. It's just literally the designing an environment, you know, or, or an event or an experience in such a way that you're kind of influencing people to think differently about a certain thing, um, because they've never seen it before or just the way that the event or the experience is designed. So what I actually do now with, with McDevco and the community engagement, I utilize that, that concept of social architecture and everything that I do. So tangent over on, uh, on social architecture in New Walkie, but uh, I do want to say that New Walkie has been, um, they've, they took me under their wing. They tried all this stuff in Milwaukee um, and they, they did it for, I don't know, five or six years before really anybody gave them any credit in Milwaukee. And now, you know, they design events that 10,000 people come to, you know, they shut down Wisconsin Avenue on Thursday nights in the summer and and 10,000 people show up for a night market. And there are people who are actually crediting this company for their reason to stay in Milwaukee. So that's kind of cool. And obviously I'm trying to create some of that here as well. Um, But back into YP week, um, it it really is just um, a mechanism to, expose young professionals to one another, to their community, um, and then in, 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 in turn um, kind of portray to their employers how important it is 
that these young professionals be connected socially um, just as much as they are professionally in a community. And I think that, you know, YP Week in itself is kind of a reaction um, to, to some of the old way of thinking that, that companies have, have kind of struggled to pull themselves out of in the, in the past 10 years. Um, it doesn't help that, you know, we do have this population of 80 million millennials that doesn't seem to want to stay in put or stay in place for very long. But um, at the same time, like companies have to start looking at recruiting and retaining their employee base, much like they would look at recruiting and retaining their customer base. Um, if you as an HR department cannot create a consumer-like um, experience for one of your employees, why the heck would they stay there? Um, I know millennials oftentimes come off as entitled, but I often think that that's misinterpreted um, as just we're connected, we're knowledgeable. We know that every company in every city in America wants us, and not only that, but needs us. And if we don't like you know, the culture at the place that we're working at right now, okay, and okay, stop, I'm not... Stop, 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 stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, so as, uh, as, as a 45-year-old... I, I don't want to have an, have an argument about this, but I think, you know, the idea that millennials are, however you just described this, because you know that every company wants you, what, I think you're pretty far out on a limb there, and I, I think... All right, how, let's talk how, about it. Yeah, I'd love how, to. Sure. How do you justify so go ahead. that? No, you're the one who made a claim, so support your okay, claim. Okay, so here's, the, here, here's let's just break this down. Um, so companies, and specifically companies that are um, the ones that are in our, you know, the types of companies that are in our community, predominantly manufacturing, um, obviously financial and insurance, um, you know, that those are heavy hitters in our, in our, our, our community here as well. Those types of jobs were traditionally filled by one person you know, for like 30 years, because baby boomers, that's what I, I don't want to, you know, stereotype here, but it was you, you, you followed the narrative, you, you, you went to high school, if your parents could afford it, you went to college, if you got a college degree, you got a good job, and then you just worked your way to the top, right? And, you know, you work at one place for however long it takes for you to retire, pretty much. And so now when those people are, have started to retire, companies are now having to think about filling a, a position that they've never had to fill before because they've been had, it's been filled by one person or one type of person for so long. And so that's where I think that, that, that need comes from. You have these positions that are vacant because people are retiring and you couple that with growth that some of our companies are experiencing. So positions are being created organically as it is because of a company's growth. And now you have to fill more positions because, you know, 30% of your workforce is retired. Like, that's what I'm getting at here. It's not like a, every company is looking at millennials and saying, we want those people. Right. No, but, no, no. But, but mean, hold on. Wait. I just want to be clear. But that's exactly what you said. Well, you you I, said... I that millennials are in demand, but that's not, are, again, I, I, it's, are we not? Well, you, I, really what you just described is anyone is in demand for these positions yeah. that need to be filled. I wouldn't say that so much. I mean, anyone with, 
the skill set that is um, applicable to the to the work that exists now. Sure, is and in apparently demand. somebody who was sixty five was capable of doing the work that you're talking about. So why would it only be millennials that are capable of doing it now? Because that work has changed. That work is no longer like you. You. It's not. It's not as much. But if a sixty-five-year-old could do it, why can only a millennial do it? Because that's your thesis. That My, you're in <laughs> demand because these people are leaving. But he's sixty-five well, he, when he left. So obviously is, he I, learned. I can't how tell to, you how many times, Dino, I've heard somebody who's not yet at the point to retire, but they have chosen to retire early because their company has forced them to. Um, their job has changed. It's more technology induced, you know, and some, I've heard so many mid 50 year olds say, I don't do computers. I'm not doing email. I'm not doing, you know, these touchscreen machines. I'm not right. doing, it, so I'm but, going to retire. <laughs> right. But that's not a demand of millennials. That's a, it's, it's a demand of a certain skill set. That's right. And, and anybody can do that skill set. That's not millennials that can only do that skill set. That's people that are willing to do that skill set. You're you're right, but those skill types of skill set are almost innate for this demographic that I'm speaking. But, but again, to, but that's not, their life. right. But that's not what you said, Nick. And again, I don't I don't mean to push back because we we asked you to be on the podcast, but you talked for 15 minutes, and as a 45 year old guy, I you insulted me like four times. Well, that's not what I'm getting at here. Right, I mean, but the I, problem is that you're doing it. You know, the so like one of the things that that I find interesting is this idea that like I'm I'm super proud that Wisconsin is the first place to have a young professionals week, but you're on a podcast with the guy who was on the first board for young professionals through the chamber, and mm-hmm. and, and sort of the lack of what the problem I have is that this lack of history for anything Wausau is, is grading for me. So like, you know, like the, the war, it, it appears that the world doesn't exist until you thought of it. Whereas there are things that happened before you that are the same things that happened since you. Like, people have been trying to bring investment and community engagement to WASA in various forms since the very, since the, the founders. Yes. Okay, so, it, it, for me, it seems like, it, it again, it's, it's lacking a certain sort of humility. And you and I have talked about this before. Like, I, I appreciate your arrogance, but... At, at some point, it, it, wow. Well, no, I, I do. I, <laughs> That's a hell of a statement. Well, no, I, just, I do. Because, sorry, the, because the fact is, I mean, if you look at what Nick has taken on, like the, the fact is he's done amazing shit. Like there's no doubt about it. Like soup and everything else that he's done, like his workload is insane. He's cre- he is a, a, a whirling dervish of activity and he's, and I, I'm, I want to ask eventually, so has any of this just bombed horribly in your face? But, and we'll get to that. But, but at the same time, it's when it's 20 minutes of you just talking about the, the bril- what I'm going to say is to generalize the brilliance of millennials, I, I feel at a certain point it's like, oh, God, 
this this is this is killing me. It is. It I is understand weird. that. I understand that. And so I, I, it becomes I, this thing where, you know, like Tom Neal, for example, founded Exhibitor. Him and his wife, all by themselves, and had Exhibitor. Do you know who that going, is? Just, just Nick. Do you know who that is? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I talk to Tom like two or three times a week. So Tom founded Exhibitor. Then Kirk. What What's Kirk's last name from Kinsey Green? Kirk. Uh, Kirk Howard. Kirk Howard there you go. founded yep. the created concerts in in Marathon Park where he brought the freaking violent femmes in with his own money in Marathon Park. Tammy at well, the city let's, page. Right, but let's just let's sort of check Kirk Howard out because okay. he did that twice. Right, but still, people. Have, the the point is that people have done things, and it right. in the the narrative that you created that. I'm going to speak for my buddy Eric that both Eric and I felt chapped at was none of this had ever happened before. And, and, you know, millennials had done, have done all of this. And the problem with that is, and the problem with that is I'm 45 and it's my podcast. And then I feel like, you know what, motherfucker, I did plenty. I have done (laughs) and did plenty of shit before this moment that I don't, I don't need to like, Hey, the 400 block, Eric and I made that happen. We were yeah. on the committee that raised the money for that. Yeah. Eric, like the square up committee, all that artwork, that's all Eric individually. All of this exists. And it just went, when I sit and, and again, we invited you to the podcast. So I'm sorry to jump on you about this, but oh no, it's, the, I like this. this the humility good. just, it, it really is grading when it's this long list of amazing things that millennials have done. And forget it. And it just seems to forget that, you know, before you, there was a co-working space in Wassa for two years. You know? Yeah, yeah, we've talked about that. And and we'd like to get that back here. Right. And so, but the the problem, the the problem that I... You know what's interesting, though? Just not to cut you off, Dino, sorry. But what's interesting is that if you were tried to put together a co-working space now, it would probably be more successful. Sure. It would be tremendously successful, and it would the work. The thing I'm interested in, in Nick, is that the, the one term that you didn't use, and I don't necessarily like it, but there's been a lot of talk in the past 15, 20 years about the brain drain in this area. Mm-hmm. And you're essentially saying that that doesn't exist. Oh, no, it certainly does. What I'm saying, Dino, is that... Um... Okay, so the question was about YP Week. And so I listed off a laundry list of things that millennials have done because they've all done them through YP Week. So it was actually, um, you know, it was in response to the question. Um, But to be honest with you, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't been in in Wausau long enough to to have a, uh, you know, a credible opinion in this. But what were... I'm trying to think what I was going to say. What were the 20-somethings in Wausau doing 10 years ago? Like, were they creating things or were they just kind of going with the flow and letting, you know, the 50-plus crowd kind of run, you know, take the reins and, 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 and steer the horse? I think that they were... I think that two things. One, 
they, they were doing things for themselves, and two, they were locked out of the system. Absolutely. So what I'm, what I'm getting at here is millennials, while they, yes, they are, they're, they're doing things just like every other previous generation we're doing. What millennials are, you know, aren't doing is allowing themselves to be locked out of the system. If they feel as though they're locked out of the system, they're going to go to some other system, right? And that, that's where we got started on this whole thing. If they feel like they're not appreciated within a company that, that they're working for, they're going to go find another company to work for. If they don't have a say in the way that the company goes, or um, I don't want to say this, not everybody you know in a company of 500 people gets a say on what decisions you know are made. But there is this, how do I say, like, I mean, for lack of a better term, this, 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 not affirmation, but like kind of like you got to, for some reason, and, and I'm, I know I'm not alone in this, like millennials, for whatever reason, you know, we grew up in this, you get a trophy for, for participation. And so that I, you know, I think that that has really contributed to this lack of humility or this, this notion that we need to be, you know, told all the time that we're appreciated and that, you know, we're doing good work and things like that. And I don't think that's right at all. I don't feel like anybody should have to, you know, tell me that I'm doing good things and I'm not going to do good things anymore or any with any more passion, um, you know, than I am now, if you were telling me all these things every single day, but we were kind of, you know, I mean, I remember sitting on grandma and grandpa's lap and looking at them and they were saying, you know, you can be anything you want to be, you know, and then, and now, you know, we don't want to work on a shop floor or we don't want to sell cars or we don't want to, you know, whatever it may be, some of those more unappealing jobs. And now we're getting like, you know, raised for it. Like, well, why don't I understand why these people don't want to fill these jobs? They pay good money. Well, you told us for the first 10 years of our life that we could be anything that we wanted to be. And I'm sorry. I, I know that plumbers make good money, but I don't want to be a plumber. Like, you know, that's just kind of what it gets at. There's a there's a sense in 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 this demographic that the work that they're going to spend time, effort and in, in like you said, um, with somebody who started things, um, you know, with the concerts and the money that they put into something, they want it to be important work and they want it to be work that it means something to them. Um, and some sometimes, you know, those jobs aren't those. There are less of those jobs out there than there are than than those that are and i feel like that's kind of the disconnect with with companies right now is yeah there, there's going to be jobs out there that nobody wants to fill but you have to find the people that may have a passion for that type of thing it's it's just a little bit more difficult because of what drives this demographic versus what drove previous demographics and i could be wrong on that so so but, I, yeah so let so let me respond to that because this is this is fun so what you described is okay so Millennials don't want to do things that, that they don't view as important. And then previously you talked about how millennials want to have a sense of buy-in at the job that they work at, a sense of control over what they do, and a sense of uh, a role in the, in the, the, the business as, as a whole. But the problem is, the problem with it that I see is what you've described is millennials want, as you millennials want to say in how 50 something spend their money because to be fair nick yp week isn't your money 
No, it's not. It's not your money. So the, the, the large amount of people who chip in money to you aren't, I would guess by the funder list, aren't millennials. They're business owners who've been there for a long time and they want to nurture their community. So they're 50-somethings who want to give back to millennials. But at the same time, millennials, as you've described them, are shitting on the people and demanding things of those who want to support them. I, I, I can right? see I how mean, that... it's not your money. Yeah. It's You haven't put up any of this money. Somebody else, McDevco has. McDevco was supported by however they're supported. The money comes from community businesses, which are owned by people who are not millennials. And at the same time, you're making a demand. Millennials are making a demand of someone who's older. Because I, I millennials have always, they, they want to have a sense of control, which is fine. But then I would, then I would offer you up as an example of two things in the Wasa area. Years ago, there was a music venue called The Stank, which was a secret music venue, which was, they didn't tell anybody about it. It was their money. They brought bands to town and they didn't tell anybody. And it went on to create what was, what's called Mini Scani mini mini Records which is a Minnesota-Wisconsin blend of punk rock records. But they did it with their own money. Where I'm having a problem... I, yeah, you didn't get invited. I, the, way I ha, the reason I have a problem with this isn't because I don't think YP Week is awesome or any of that, but the way you describe what millennials want is incredibly insulting. It's incredibly insulting. Because as a 45-year-old who stood before you and worked to make the city better, I think, it's amazingly arrogant to, to listen to you describe it, to listen to you describe what you want. Because when you guys had, you have a tremendous advantage. There wasn't, McDevco didn't want to help community engagement 15 years ago or 20 years ago. The chamber didn't want to do that. They fought against that. And young people of my generation tried anyway. We came together anyway. I can't, I was, Eric and I were the youngest by 20 years on the 400 block committee. And, and we, and we stayed there because we believed in it, but, and it, and we raised the private money for Joe McGrath to, to build the 400 block, but it just, so, and take My all question. the credit for it. Dino, just let me just say that I can feel you getting upset. Yeah. History repeats itself. Oh, I'm sure. So a lot of what Nick is talking about, you and I have already gone through. Right. Just throwing that out there so we don't piss Nick off and he never comes back. That's all. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I enjoy this bantering, guys. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a conversation I've had more than, you know, more than just tonight, for sure. Um, with who? I'm interested. Who? I mean, not names, but I mean, with what groups are you having that conversation with? Uh, you know, with you know, with older people in the community who who have a have faith in the younger people in the community. Um, you know, I've had this conversation lots of times with you know people from across the state that are connected to YP Week and just some of the struggles that that those people go through in their communities uh, and. I, I, you brought up a good example, Dino. You, you know, you two were the, the youngest, the youngest people on the 400 block committee by 20 years. How long would you have stayed on that committee if everything that you said got dismissed as like 
well, you're just a, you know, you're, you're 20 years younger. You, you really have no idea what you're talking about and you're naive and that's a great idea, but you can just go sit in the corner. You that know, happened, like, that happened all, Eric, how many times did that happen? Constantly. <laughs> that happened yeah. constantly. Oh yeah. I'm on mute, but yeah, so many times. That happened. And how did you respond? Just in the 400 block thing alone. And how did you respond? So, kind so, of like we are now. We just got pissed off. So, and, so I'll tell and you. Exactly. Laid into. I mean, I. You know, we didn't. We didn't let up. We just. We pushed forward and said, "Fuck you. We're gonna do this anyway." And that's what ended up happening. Right. So. so yeah, yeah. So. I'll. I'll let me. You... Let me respond even more to that. So what? What specifically happened was we. I. I personally identified the the political power in the room and for me that is 99% of the time identified by those who are going to give the money and I politically worked with them behind the scenes to make sure that my ideas were in the room and if that's what I did I finagled my way into the 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 heart of the guy who was going to pay for the damn thing and I made sure that he heard that my ideas were good and then when it was time and he saw me get rejected he's like hey hold on a second let's listen to what Dino had to say and and yeah and I got pissed off too but the but the fact is it you know it nobody sat down nobody sat on their hands I you know so I yeah I don't even know what we're <laughs> I wish I wish there was a, like a like a like a transcript in front of me or something that I could look at and be like, okay, this is this is all the things that we went off on. Yeah, no, we could I, do that, but we'd still we'd still yeah, sidetrack on it. I think I think, and and this is this is a flaw of mine. You know, I I, I don't you know for being a communications major, it's actually kind of uh, ironic. I don't always um, appropriately portray what I'm trying to say, you know, in, in the best way. And I think oftentimes some of my comments can be interpreted as, you know, being arrogant and, and, and all of those, you know, those things, those nice things that you told me, Dino. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is millennials really are no different than, than, than you guys were. And, and when you were, you know, busting your balls to, get things to take place, you know, in this community, um, it's probably the same situation. I just think that there are more of, more of you guys now than there were when you guys were you guys and you guys are still you guys, but you know what I mean? And, and because there are more of us now, we tend to congregate in places that we don't have to go through what you guys went through. And, and maybe that makes us, you know, lazy or, 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 or entitled or whatever, but because the world is so much more closely connected, given the internet and social media and things like that, that are, that is what communities like ours are, are running into is this problem that, well, we're kind of a conservative thinking community. And I know that's improved drastically in the past 10 years. Um, but if that's something that's, on full display at all times, like most of the time, you're not even going to get people like you and Eric and myself to fight that when they know that they are, they can go to Boulder or Seattle or Austin or wherever and fit right in and not have to fight that at all. 
And that goes on a community basis. It also goes for a workforce, workplace basis. So maybe that is a better portrayal of the point that I was trying to make. Crickets. Sorry, I was on mute. Sorry. I, I, I think that that's fine. I, I just, you know, it, for me, I'm, I will always, you're, you're not the first nope. young hard charger and you're not the first young hard charger since I became an old man, apparently. And, and the fact <laughs> is it, it consistently, and what, what I, what I'm aware of is that, uh, Wassa has a terrible locals only vibe to it. Like I really, like I know it. I know it's here, and I know it applies. What to do you mean? How do you mean? Like, what's the vibe? So just sort of like, hey, you have it. You didn't grow up here. We don't give a shit about you. You know, there's there's that. Like, you know, with with uh, just with everything. You know, there's there is a sense of you know, like, hey, this reporter didn't grow up here. Fuck them. You know this. This guy on TV didn't. He's not from here. He doesn't know anything. You know, like I'm surprised Nick just didn't get beat up for not being a Packer fan. To be honest with you, you know, how, <laughs> how dare how dare you talk about like I'm I'm like terrified that we're gonna leave that part about you know you not being a Packer fan in the podcast and you're just gonna get your ass kicked by some crazy Packer fan. But you know, how dare you go in the locker room, the holiest of holies, and not you know and not be that's only you know that's like the the special tabernacle in, in Ute in St. Uh, the fuck where Salt Lake city. Um, but I just, it's for me, I, I will always, I take issue all the time with, with people who forget the history of those who came before them because, you know, the, the ability to congregate in places is, is built on those who come before you. Who make it possible? Absolutely. So you would be proud of how many, and not 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 directly before me, but you would be proud of how many times in my day to day conversation I reference the Wasa group. I mean, th- I mean, those were the those were the ultimate like young people in Wasa's history. I mean, they 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 formed this place. What's the Wasa and, group? Really? Yeah, go ahead, do it. It's like you know, like the. The Cyrus Yaki's and the Alexander Stewart's and, you know. The people who founded the community. Gotcha. Yeah, I've, never I mean, heard the people who, I've never heard of them referred to as the Wasa groups. Yeah. The people who <clears throat> collaboratively invested, um, sure. you know, their their earnings from the white pine industry and built what what it is, you know, that we kind of know today. Not not all of it, obviously, but set the foundation. And, um, you know, I don't think that they necessarily did it the same way that, young people now would do it if they were, you know, the richest people in town, but nonetheless, they didn't do it independently. They used each other. And I think that's something that I, that's something that I talk about almost every day as to how we need to get back to that, get back to, you know, who says that, you know, the richest people in Wasa, whether they be owners of a company that are in competition with each other or not, who says that those people, um, you know, can't benefit independently from investing in something collaboratively to draw more attention to Wausau or to build the community into a better place for young people to want to live, you know? Um, that's kind of what I'm getting at with the Wausau group thing. But nonetheless, like, 
I certainly can see where you're coming from, Dino, and it may have seemed like I kind of forgot about what had happened in Wausau beforehand. And um, and I apologize for that because you guys have done a crap ton of work in this community and you've certainly paved the way for a lot of other cool things to happen. And I think you've paved the way for a lot of things that I've that I've been able to do here. So thank you. And thank you for calling me out. I appreciate that as well. Sure. That's hey, I enjoy that. So uh, so then let's get back just to just let's let's focus objectively. Objectively. Absolutely. Tell me what the activities that are going to be a part of Young Professionals Week are. Yeah, so YP Week this year in, in Wausau is fifteen events in eight days. Um on coming starting this Saturday, we are we have partnered with Godorzi um to be one of the, you know, organizations that um has people helping clean up you know the community after you know the melt um props to godorzi they've ran a pretty darn good operation i think this is their ninth year um i think they had over a thousand uh, volunteers last year so hoping to hoping to help contribute to that effort as well and if, um, and if the godorzis would like to sponsor a podcast chuck you can just call you can just call by. yeah sure <laughs> um and then saturday night uh i I don't know how many people from wasa are attending but i know that i am attending it's the statewide kickoff party um for yp week and granted there are 25 communities participating in yp week this year um in wisconsin so it's a big deal and uh that's coming on the heels of just the 15 cities last year participating the ypweek.com website um garnered about a million and a half website views in the calendar year. So not too bad um, in terms of just like drawing people to pay attention to what's going on in Wisconsin. Cause it's not just people from Wisconsin. In fact, 49 of the 50 States visited the, the website last year. Um, and we had website visits from more than like 25 countries. So there's, there's certainly a lot of people paying attention to what's happening here in Wisconsin through this young professionals um, week initiative, but here locally, um, like I said, I will be going to the kickoff party in Sheboygan on the 22nd, um, we're attempting to throw the biggest young professionals event, um, in, in, in the country, I guess. I don't know how you would define that. Cause I know there's a lot of me- music festivals and things out there that are predominantly young people, but Wausau, you let's come back to the city of Wausau. What's going on? Absolutely. Here? Yes. So, uh, then Monday we kick off some of the social programming, um, with what's known as a speaker crawl taking place at Green Hex Education Center. Um, so the speaker crawl is there will be a number of speakers for someone to choose from. Um, some of, Sometimes those speakers are going simultaneously in different areas of a building. It is up to the attendee decide, um, to decide which topic they want to learn about, which speaker they want to hear from. They're very informal talks, 20 minutes long. There's no PA. There's no podium. There's no seating. You're, you're just kind of like in a group of people and the person who's giving the speech is, is, is right there with you. Um, and so we've got, you know, people like Sean Wright and David Hummer and um, Shanna Yonke is going to speak and Chris Norfleet's going to talk about unity and things like that. So um, that'll be a good time. And plus, um, you know, we're doing this at Green Hex Education Center. Um, it's twofold reasoning. Um First and foremost, I know that a lot of people know that Greenheck is one of the better companies in the world and certainly, you know, one of the leaders in their industry. But 
I don't know that a lot of people in Moss actually know what Green Heck produces. Like, yes, they they're a Green Heck fan, but there's so much more into fans than just what people may think. So, ha- hosting this event in their education center with their products on display um, is going to, I think, hopefully engage people with just how cool of a company Green Heck is and and why why they are one of the best companies um, you know in the country in terms of you know, that industry. Um, on Tuesday, we are hosting a um, lunch program with Toward One Wausau uh, to talk about the importance of diversity and culture and, you know, equal treatment and things like that. You know, that kind of the mission of, of Toward One Wausau. We're hosting a roundtable for that for young professionals, and that's actually taking place in an open storefront downtown, so the old kids' closet um, location is it's vacant right now and we're going to do a little event in there. So, and then Tuesday night, we, um, are going to draw people to the, you know, newly and continually developed, um, riverfront next to the, next to wow there. We are having a food truck rally, um, mixed with some, some drone racing actually. So we, we will have a, an area of that riverfront um, that is unconstructed right now, roped off, and we'll have, I think the number is like either six or eight different racing drones flying around, and then we'll have video from the drones transmitted back to monitors so that spectators can not only see the drones in the air, but they can also see what the drones see. Um, so that, that'll be a fun event um, as well. And obviously that's, you know, another, another area of which you know, the city doesn't have any policies on, on drones right now. And, and, you know, maybe they're, you know, not really sure how to proceed with some of those things. Um, so it's, it's a theme around, around the state with YP week to kind of, you know, be a friendly, like reminder to your municipality that, Hey, this is something that's relevant, um, in other cities or in other parts of the country right now, and it's becoming more and more popular in, in our community, maybe it's time to, to kind of pay some attention to this so that something bad doesn't happen. And, and you know, and now we're, we're, we're left making a reactive decision rather than, you know, a proactive policy. Um, and then obviously that's going to introduce the city to some people that have been flying drones for, you know, 10 years. And maybe those people could help um, the city, you know, form some policy on something like this. Um, because they've actually, you know, been in that realm. Uh, moving on to Wednesday, we have a really cool event at Holly Ann's Music Studio in downtown Wausau. Um, it's pretty much uh, a networking event for musicians. It's called More Than a Jam Session. Um, so basically, you, you, you bring your instrument, whatever it is, and you get introduced to other musicians in the community, um, and you get split up into different groups, and you'll play you know, just some smaller jam sessions and then everyone will come together at the end of the event and walk over to the grand and there'll be one large jam session taking place on the stage of the grand theater. Uh, and then immediately following that, we're having, um, you know, we're, we're partnering with, with the glass hat on, um, just trying to bring more people to their trivia nights on Wednesday. There will be a special YP week cocktail, um, on the bar that, that night. And I think there will be a handful of questions that are Wausau, and or Wisconsin specific um, to kind of thematically play in with with YP Week. Uh, Thursday we are having oh, another one. Hold on a second. Pro- hold on a second. If, yeah. the, if the Glass Hat would like to sponsor a podcast, uh, Lisa can just give me a call. 
<laughs> so so again, I I don't mean to 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 push you along, but we still have to get to soup, and we're already at an, an hour and ten minutes. So absolutely, finish yeah. the so, week so we can talk about soup. Yeah, Thursday is we're having a program uh, lunch, the lowdown on LinkedIn. The library is hosting that. Basically, there's a lot of people out there that have a LinkedIn but don't know how to use it. Um, so we're going to teach people how to use it, and then you also get a free headshot um, with that. So. Then Thursday night is Soup 3. We'll come back to that. Um, Friday, we are hosting a cultural festival at the Wassa World Market called We Are Wassa. Pretty much just a mesh of musicians and artists and different cultures and food and vendors and things like that. Pretty much if that type of culture exists in the Wassa community, uh, we've at least attempted to try to get it there um, so that we have pretty much every culture in the community on display. I think there's like nine different styles of music going to be represented on three different stages. So it'll be a good time. And then Saturday night, or excuse me, Saturday during the day, we're having a a six hour homebrew workshop at Bull Falls Brewery. The homebrew depot will be there to basically get to, I mean, you get to help make a 20 gallon batch of beer and then, um, then there'll be a second part of the workshop where you come back and clean the bottles and bottle it. And then you get to take home um, the free beer and we're giving away a free homebrew um, kit to that event. And then Saturday night, things get wrapped up with the um, finale party at Malarkey's. Um, Malarkey's has a band coming in and there will be lasers and moving lights and video projection mapping and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So that in a very long or a very big nutshell is is YP Week Wasa 2017. That's cool. I'm sorry, I was on mute. Um, so, uh, so the other thing that that I'm interested in is uh, soup. So, when is soup again? Soup is Thursday, April 27th, at six o'clock p.m. at 5303 East Jelinek Avenue in Weston, the former Becker Communications building. So uh, what is Soup? Soup is a community microgranting experience. Um, that's that's the synopsis. Do you want me to explain that? Yep. Okay, Soup for is... Our, uh, for our old-ass listeners, please. <laughs> <laughs> soup is a public platform for citizen-led grassroots projects that are aimed to enhance the living experience in the community. So essentially we put out a proposal form to the public. Um, it's twin, 10 questions long. Uh, basically give us your idea of, of a project or a niche business that will help enhance the living experience in Wausau. Um, then those proposals go through a selection committee process in which, um, you know, people of the community, uh, diverse members of the community, each score these projects and it gets narrowed down to four projects that are presented on soup night on soup night attendees. Uh, it's open to the public. Anybody can come. You're asked to donate at least $5 cash. Uh, that gets you, you know, obviously into the event. It gets you, um, uh, soup from a local restaurant and bread from a local bakery. And it also gets you a ballot. And what you'll do with that ballot is vote for one of these four projects. Projects are, Throughout the night, uh, given four-minute presentations, the presenters cannot use technology, so no PowerPoints, no video. Um, the audience wants to hear how badly you want this to happen and kind of have an emotional you know, connection with, with the presenter. And then at the end of the night, 
um, everybody can vote for their favorite project and we count the votes and the project that got the most votes uh, goes home with all the cash that was raised at the door to go do the project. That is soup. So how can many you, how many of yeah, them have there a breakdown been? of what right? Yeah, so we started soup um, in October. Uh, it was actually about 20 days after my first day as an employee with McDevco. We did the first soup at the Wassa Club, which is was purposeful. It was kind of to shine light on the fact that, yeah, um, you know, Wassa is kind of a, as you alluded to earlier, uh, Dino, um, a good old boys club. And maybe you can't make things happen if you haven't lived here long enough or if you don't have the right last name or whatever it may be. And, you know, for, you know, I, I can't speak for being here before 2012, but um, it seems to me that the, the Wassa Club was actual, actually the physical representation of that good old boys club because, well, it was a club where the richest people in Wassa made business deals and development deals. So um, it was ironic that we brought people into the into that building that had been vacant for you know uh, several years and um, was kind of on the civic chopping block of whether or not to be raised or uh, or revitalized. And uh, we gave people the opportunity to 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 have their citizen voice heard in their projects and. 150 people showed up to that first one. Um, we had about five weeks to market it. We did not produce any um, tangible forms of, of marketing. So there was no flyers or paid advertising or anything like that. It was literally Facebook and word of mouth. And 150 people showed up and we raised nearly $800 that we gave to, that we awarded to um, Open Streets Wasa, which is a citizen led project um, to enhance, well, not to enhance, for, you're enhancing the community, of course, but. Uh, Shuts down about two miles of traffic um, downtown from Third Street, um, uh, from the mall to Athletic Park. And it's kind of designed to give you a different perspective of your streets rather than behind the windshield of a car at 35 miles an hour. Um, so that that's happening. That that project had $0 in its budget when it was pitched. We gave it, you know, $780, I think it was. And and that project just got it, the last um, bout of its funding, um, I think, a couple of weeks ago. So... That was the first soup. Um, the second soup we hosted at the West Side Battery Building. Um, and the project that won that one was uh, Wasa Makerspace. Uh, they, if you're not familiar with the Makerspace, it is a um, you know, facility that houses you know, expensive equipment that people can't normally afford um, that would allow entrepreneurs, innovators to kind of create a prototype for, for whatever it is that they have you know, designed. Um, but it's also, you know, a, a, a co-working space on on steroids, kind of getting creative people together and talking about ideas and giving them the tools to actually act on those ideas. So um, that'll be an, a welcoming addition to our community once that gets up and going. We awarded the the makerspace with nine hundred and fifty seven dollars. They used that money to go um, basically establish their five hundred one c three. And now property owners are knocking on their door to try to get them to open this makerspace in their property. So pretty, uh, pretty good story there. Um, soup as an event is never the same. We always do it in a different vacant building. Um, and that's to draw attention to some of these underutilized spaces so that we could get people thinking about how these spaces could be used as opposed to just letting them sit and rot and then eventually, um, you know, demolish to make room for, for new development. So, we go as far as actually soliciting feedback from attendees by, you know, at Soup 2, we had 
painted on the wall, leave a note for the new owner. And we gave, we had Sharpies hanging from, you know, the ceiling that you could go and write on the wall of this building um, what you would like to tell the new owner of the building. People took it seriously. Some people said, got really technical and drew out where they would put windows. And some people wrote on there, you know, be about it. Don't just talk about it. Uh, I didn't even, I didn't know that the old owners of the building were at the event until after I read the wall. Um, you know, they had written on there that we, that they hoped that the, uh, the building brings as much joy to the new owner's life as it did to their lives for, for so many years. And then somebody actually had the gall to write on the wall that only a fool would paint over this wall. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. Um, and it kind of, you know, it worked to the advantage of that building. And, you know, I would say the advantage of the community, that building was civically owned, um, you know, being paid for by the taxpayers to keep running. And we released the, uh, you know, the right for proposal at the event. Uh, it just so happens that uh, the respondent to that proposal was our soup sponsor for the night. We had Urban Street Bistro up on the stage to kind of share their vision for the space. And then they responded to the RFP. And, you know, I'm sure both of you know that the city just, you know, voted to, to move forward with that project. So that's that 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 city owned property that the taxpayers are, are you know, kind of responsible for it will soon you know, be back on the tax rolls and we'll have a, a, a nice 90, 99 seat um, bar and grill on the riverfront to, to show for it. So that's kind of the purpose behind soup and holding it in vacant buildings. Um, but most of my events, whether it be soup or any of these other young professional events are designed in a way that you're not bored ever really at the event. There's always something to do. Um, and so for instance, the soup, the second soup had the umbrellas that from third street hanging over, hanging over the, the main event space. So that gave something, something for people to talk about. And we had a lot of interactive type, um, areas of the, of the event where you were asked to write on the wall or, you know, put your opinion here or whatever it may be, just giving people a voice, even for just attending an event. Um, so that's kind of soup. You have, um, is there, are there, I'm assuming there's more questions about soup. No, not really. I think you explained it pretty well. So good. So one of the things we'd like to do is uh, whoever wins from the Becker building, we'd like to invite them to be on the podcast. So if they want to absolutely come on the podcast after it's done, that'd be cool. So uh, that, that would be fun. Um, but so we're going to wrap up the podcast because we're into an hour and 20 minutes. And uh, I don't think anybody's going to be on the treadmill this long. So, uh, <laughs> um, so if, if people want more information, Nick, where can they get more information about soup online? Yeah, Soup has a Facebook page out there. It's just at Wasa Soup. Um, Soup 3 also has an event out there. Um, so just check that out. Uh, you could always email me. My email address is nick at mcdevco.org. I'm easily accessible on Facebook. You know, I don't have a, a a stage name or anything like that. It's it's just me out there. So I'm always willing to talk with people about their feelings about Wasa and hopefully their ideas about how to improve this place. And if I can help you get connected to the resources that you need to help you carry out your idea, that's kind of what my role is. So, and that's also what my passion is. So I would encourage anyone to, uh, you know, to reach out. Cool, man. Nick, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate thanks it. A lot. Thanks for having me.
Are you? Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to come back? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Good. We're excited to have you back. So that'll be fun. <laughs> but uh, all right. So that'll be. Uh, we'll get the information about Soup and Young Professionals Week up. Trying to find my way to me When the power was restored I can't describe the damage done This would be the first time I know it wasn't fun Oh, 